All right, Psalm 107, Psalm 107, Lord willing, we will finish tonight our series from this chapter that tells us about the loving kindness of God. You tell me a better, more pleasant subject than loving kindness. From God, the one that's all-powerful, the one that created everything, the one that created you and me and knows us inside and out, They, they tell us that what humans need is some people real, real close to them that love them very much and know them very well. They, they call that intimacy. It's like, uh, it kind of sounds like into me see. Well, let me tell you who has intimacy with you like nobody else could ever dream of. God. Amen. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your closest family member, friend, whatever the case may be. He knows you. And uh, if you can have loving kindness from somebody that knows you that well and that is that powerful, that's the most blessed, sublime thought that can possibly be thought. There's nothing better in your life than to be loved by somebody that can do you that good and that loves you that much and that knows you that well. It's the most wonderful thing that you could ever think about. And so God takes Psalm 107 and gives us several um, Examples of ways that uh, you can study and think about things and meditate on things and understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Now, as we saw with the lost and the rebels and the fools, and then even today the the yuppies, the business people, um, it's not all sunshine and roses when God shows us his loving kindness, is it? In every one of these cases, they've had to call on God in their distresses. That's one of the great things about God is you can call on Him and He will hear you. I I guarantee you if you live for the devil, you'll be in a shape you'll be wishing you could call for some help. And if you serve this world, you'll get in a position you'll be calling for some help. And maybe more than anything, if you serve your own flesh, you'll get yourself in trouble and have to be calling for some help. So you may as well serve God and have somebody that can help you when you do call. So don't serve the world, don't serve your own self, and don't certainly don't serve the devil, serve God. Now let's pick up the reading uh, and we'll finish up, Lord willing, tonight, Psalm 107, verse 33, this last group. He turneth rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Now, that's a little change. He'd been talking about how bad things were, and he made them right. Now, this one begins with, things were good, and he made them bad. Right. How interesting. There are those that every time you hear about catastrophes and sicknesses and storms and tidal wave, or what do they call them, tsunamis, and a lot of people die, and you say something about God's judgment. They go, ah, I don't believe God would send a judgment like that and kill a bunch of innocent people. <laughs> oh, boy. You better go read in your Bible. Amen. He sure does. Some people say, I don't think God would let anybody go to an eternal burning hell. Uh, you, better, you better read the words of Jesus, because he talked more about it than anybody in the Bible. That's right. And God will take rivers and turn them into a wilderness, and water springs into a dry ground, and fruitful land into barrenness, And here's the reason for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. Verse 35 says, He turneth the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. He he can go either way with it. 
And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields, and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt on princes, and causeth them to wander in the wilderness, where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. So this is our last sermon on understanding the Lord's loving kindness. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll unlock our understanding and speak to us and teach us some things, Lord, to help us be better servants for you, God. And I pray we'd be like this last category uh, that is covered. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. I want to say tonight that God's control of the ebb and flow of life reveals his loving kindness. Now this section is unique in that it begins with the Lord working, not with man. In the other sections, man starts messing up and God comes and rescues them. This section starts with God working, making things go dry and making things spring with water again. Neither is there any sign stated or implied of any sin on the part of those that the Lord delivers. At least in the previous uh, one from just this morning, uh, while it didn't mention a sin, it didn't look like they really had much relationship with the Lord. And they had to call for the Lord to deliver them just like the fools and the rebels and the lost did. But here, there is no verse that says, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. They don't ever do that. Now why does this group never find themselves in a place where they cry unto the Lord in their trouble to get out of the mess they're in? Here's why. They've been in contact with Him all along. Let me tell you, Christian. Don't get in a place where you're so far from God that you find yourself in a wilderness, in a prison, in a shipwreck, or almost a shipwreck, and having to call for God. Now, don't get me wrong. If you find yourself in one of those places, then yes, call for God. But I show unto you a more excellent way. Stay in fellowship with Him throughout. This bunch never gets in that place. I don't mean that they don't have trials. We're fixing to see that they did. But they were in fellowship with him in the time of blessing, just the same as they were in time of trial, and they weren't in one of those places. If it came time for them to go meet the Lord, praise the Lord, they just went and met him, like Obadiah Holmes was ready to, and like uh, Weatherford was ready to, and like plenty of our Baptist forefathers were ready to. You just stay in fellowship with God. A little, little different situation here. Surely they are the ones identified near the end of the section as the righteous. So let's look at the background of the righteous. You say, well, we live in a pagan day. We live in an ungodly day. The Lord knows we do. The stuff I hear from our school system oh. turns my stomach. This is not the country of the 1950s. Let me tell you something. This is not the country of the 1980s. This is not the country of the 1990s. I'm not real sure this is the country of 2016 and 2017. There, something changed about 2020 in this country. Oh, something fell off a cliff somewhere. 
Things are falling, and they are falling quickly. Amen. But you don't have to go that way. Amen. This background of the righteous is under a time of God's judgment. Verse 33 and 34, he's taken rivers, turning them into a wilderness, and water springs into dry ground, and fruitful land into barrenness. And lo and behold, that's the background that the righteous spring out of. I've heard people that were dealing with Christian young people say that some of the best Christian young people either come up in really, really good homes, just to, from our perspective, almost perfect homes, or really, really bad homes. <laughs> the Lord brings them out of them. But all the mediocre people are just kind of halfway good and halfway bad. and blah, blah, blah. They don't turn them out near as good as the really good ones and the really bad ones. I don't know. I don't claim to have the experience that some of these people have that have dealt with thousands and thousands of young people. But I know this. Just because you find yourself in a bad, wicked, heathen, pagan day doesn't mean you have to go that way. You can choose to be different. That can be your background, and you can come out of it if you stay in fellowship with the Lord and let Him bring you out of it. So the, the background of the righteous here in verses 33 and 34 is God removing His blessing and sending barrenness. Let me tell you what God does. He removes His blessing sometimes. That's just the truth of it. Genesis 3, 17, you know what the Lord says? Cursed is the ground for your sake. God had given them that wonderful Garden of Eden, a perfect place, brought him the perfect wife, and blessed him in every way, and they sinned, and God said, all right, curse it is the ground for your sake. He, he just made it harder on them. That is probably not the God you'll hear about in the, in the Amen. popular churches of our day. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, he's saying this to the Old Testament Israelites, of course, and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What do you mean heal their land? I'll tell you what he means. He's judged their land, and their land is needing healing. There's some things in our land today that needs healing. Amen. They are messed up. Yeah. It's just about gone. Like that letter to the church in Revelation 2 or 3, he said, well, strengthen the things that remain. <laughs> in other words, it's about all gone. But take the few little things you can get and uh, strengthen those at least. Like the shipwreck there at the end of the book of Acts where they just, some of them float in <laughs> broken pieces of ship. Let me tell you something. This thing is falling apart. Do the best you can to make do with the little bit of ship that's left and just get yourself to shore best you can because I promise you the storms have already begun. The judgment has begun. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but I'm trying to be honest with you. This thing is falling apart. Agree with you, man. You, you look at any, any metric by which you want to measure it. You want to look at our economy? I admit we're doing real good in Tennessee right now. I get that. But you want to look at our overall economy in, the, in this country, in the world? It is a problem. You don't go, whatever it is, $30 trillion in debt, and people just keep lending you money. At some point, somebody says, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. 
I saw a thing on social media the other day where they said, all right, tell me, am I describing the NFL or the NBA? And they told crime after crime after crime. And I was thinking, hmm, I don't know if that would be NFL or NBA. And they said, neither. It's the United States Congress. Amen. <laughs> I thought to myself, oh, man. That's the big three in our day for criminals, the NFL, the NBA, and U.S. Congress. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I, I was, I, I will admit, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. When they started describing those crimes, it did sound like stuff you hear about these professional athletes doing. And I will admit, I fell for it. I thought, hmm, which one is it? And it was Congress, man. Uh, let me tell you something. You're, you're, it, it's not going to keep going like this much longer. Socially, family-wise, individually, economically, freedom-wise, politically, certainly spiritually. I mean, they're, I, even as young as I am, which I guess I can't really say young anymore, but uh, even at my age, I, I, I'm still pretty healthy and young and outside of a unforeseen thing, still have quite a ways to live on this earth, I think. But even I can remember times when this country looked completely different. Completely different. I remember when the Bible-believing churches was the, were the movers and shakers in, a, in many of the communities. And I remember they would just send out armies of people knocking on doors and handing out gospel tracts and people getting saved and baptized and churches growing and all kinds of things. This country isn't the same that it always was. There are some things coming apart. And there are some things coming apart... Uh, here in Psalm 107, Luke 152 says, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. You ever get feeling jealous of those that have blessings? Don't worry, just stick around. It'll change. It will change. There was an article in, I think it was a Knoxville newspaper a long time ago at this point. Man, it's been probably 20 years ago. And they did a study of the 10 most uh, influential and moneyed uh, people and families in that region. And then they did a follow-up study on them a few years later, and I think one out of 10 was still doing well. Nine of them declared bankruptcy and messed mm. up and everything. Uh, you just stick around. Things are always changing. And one of the factors as to why things change so much is because God gets involved. There comes a point that God says, all right, I've had enough of that. So God removing his blessing and sending barrenness is part of the background of the righteous. And God punishing people for their wickedness by cursing their land is part of the uh, background of the righteous. The Bible says righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Romans 2 says, But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. You want to know how everybody's doing that's living like the world lives these days? They're not doing well. First of all, I have the lessons of history. I've studied the life of the rich and the famous and the beautiful. They do not end well. And I've often referred to that set of books called They Went That Away. They Went That Away. You want to read How the Rich and the Famous Go? Uh, they Go That Way. Dr. Ruckman did a study on that book called, uh, what was it, the name of that? Oh, Without Hope and Without God. Yeah. It's one of those uh, 
where he's basically sitting at his desk in his office critiquing the book and telling you the story of it called Without Hope and Without God. Listen, it's not a happy life without hope and without God. Amen. Amen. It doesn't turn out well. You say, oh, no, you don't understand. I've seen their Instagram pictures. They're beautiful and doing great. <laughs> That's what you call makeup. <laughs> That's what you call uh, filters. <laughs> that is not real, folks. If you see it on an electronic screen, it is fake. Have we covered this before? <laughs> Amen. Let me tell you what's holding them up. Some drugs, some alcohol, and some shrinks, <laughs> and a bunch of money. And when the money is gone, they go with it. Amen. That is fake. There's a reason they call it fake book. God punishes people. That is not a happy life. We've got the lesson of history. We've got they went that away. And we've got stories that are coming out in the news every day of these people that their lives aren't working out well. All right, look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. I understand you can fake things and... What, we, what in the old days we called trick photography, these days they call it filters. <laughs> Let me tell you something, that, that's not real, man. That's not real. Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy land, and the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. It doesn't turn out good according to the scripture when you leave God. Amen. You're cursed every which way you go. Alright, that's the background of the righteous. Now let's look at the beginning of the righteous. You find that in verses 35 to 37. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. So the same God that just turned the wet places dry and the fruitful places barren now turns around and goes the other way. You know what your job is? Stay faithful either way. You know what God's doing? In some cases, He's punishing. In other cases, He's preparing a place for you. And it's been hard and you came out of a bad background and God says, you know what? They came out of some hard times and they stayed faithful to me. I'm fixing to fix some things up for them. Boy, isn't it a blessed thing when you look around and perceive that God is starting to bless? There have been times in my life I looked around and it was clear the hand of God was blessing. Now, there have been times it was clear that His hand was whooping me real good, too. <laughs> a loving Father does some of both, doesn't He? But it's a blessing when you're in one of those times when you perceive He's blessing. What a wonderful thing that is. The beginning of the righteous. He turns things around. Verse 36. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, and that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. So the first thing I notice about the beginning of the righteous is God prepares a land for them. Even when you're in hard times, remember, as Miss Martha often tells us, God has a plan. He's got something going. 
He's got something in store for you, and you don't see it yet. But you know what the Lord told his disciples? I go to prepare a place for you. Now, let me tell you what he's doing, Christian. You're in a time of trial. He's preparing something for you. I can't promise that it'll be a lot of money if that's what you're needing, or perfect health if that's what you're needing, or whatever you might be after. I can't promise that he's going to give you specifically and concretely the exact thing you're wanting for because he knows better than me what he's doing. But I can promise you he has got you some blessing in the future. I guarantee you that. Because he told his disciples that even knowing everything they were going to go through, I go to prepare a place for you. So he's preparing a land for them. Here they're called the hungry. But Jesus says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Amen. All right, then uh, God moves them there. Look at verse 36. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell. Well, here it was a dry place, but in verse 35, he turns it into standing water and water springs and then sends the hungry there once he gets it prepared for them. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful thing. We're in Psalms here. I'm going to read to you from over here in chapter 36. The 36th Psalm. Verse 7, how excellent is thy, there it is, loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. What a wonderful promise. God moves them there. And then once he gets them there, he puts them to work. It says in the end of verse 36 that they may prepare a city for habitation and sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. Now, by the way, when you think of our cities today, you usually think of one of the bigger ones. It's basically an asphalt jungle <laughs> and a concrete jungle. It's nothing but streets and sidewalks. The cities here, you still had garden spots. You still had fields. You still had livestock. And you certainly had it in what they called the suburbs around the city. And you even had some inside the city. So their idea of a city was a little different. It didn't mean that you, you know, didn't have any plants or livestock or anything. So you, you had plenty to do there. There was plenty of work there. So when he gets the hungry in a place that he's blessed, he still expects you to do something. Now you take the blessings God has given you and do something with them. Now it doesn't have to be super hard work. When God put Adam in the garden, he just put him there to dress and to keep it. You don't even have to bend over much and hurt your back. Have you ever done something where you had to be bent over doing something for a long period of time and, oh, your back gets so stiff? <laughs> I mean, he had Adam with trees, you know, where I'm sure Adam could just dress and keep those trees upright so it didn't even hurt his back. <laughs> Not all of God's work is terrible and back-breaking. If you'll just stay busy at the part you can easily do, you'd be surprised at the blessing that comes from that. Problem is with a lot of God's people, they just quit. They're not even doing the easy things. You know what? Once in a while we should do the hard things. I'll admit that. But let's at least stay faithful at the easy things. The things that don't take much effort. Just say something for the Lord. Just leave a gospel track somewhere. Just once in a while hold up a sign. Or once in a while cook a meal or once in a while do something that in some way spreads the word of God or put a few extra dollars and market for missions, the easy stuff, do it. You'd be surprised how God will bless just that, especially if you keep doing it. If you keep investing a little every week, 
over time, God will compound that stuff. But he puts them to work. They're preparing a city. And boy, the blessing of the city is there's people around you can visit with and you can fellowship with. It talks about this city in Hebrews 11 where we've been studying on Wednesday nights. And they're preparing the city and they're planting the fields. I'll tell you what's good about planting fields. It reminds you of your dependence on God. Now you can till the land and you should. And you can drop the seeds in the ground and you should. But you can't make those seeds grow. God has to do something once that seed is planted. Right. And when you plant a field, it is a real good reminder that, yeah, you put a lot of work into it, but you're counting on God to do something with it. Amen. And when you plant the seed of the gospel, yeah, you might have had to do some work. You might have had to organize some things and make up some packets with some gospel stuff in them. But you're counting on God to do something with it. And when you witness and when you preach and when you spread the word and when you support missionaries... Yeah, you might have had to sacrifice, and yeah, you might have had to work an hour or two of overtime to have the money to do it, but you're counting on God to do something because you can't make it happen. It's a real good lesson from planting seed in a field. So that was the background of the righteous followed by the beginning of the righteous. Now let's look at the maturity of the righteous. Verse 38. He blesseth them also so that they are multiplied greatly and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. He blesseth them. Boy, it's a great thing when you recognize that blessings come from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It is good when you have the testimony that people know the reason they get a blessing is because of God through you. Amen. Laban told Jacob, I have learned by experience the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. What a word of testimony. You say, oh, I'm not that way. Well, let me, let me just remind you, Jacob wasn't exactly the most upstanding character there's ever been himself. He was a little deceitful, quite a bit deceitful, wasn't he? He was a supplanter. He was a schemer. Poor guy. At the end of his life, he said, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. You want to have, you, I mean, the guy had God's blessing on him his whole life, and that's the one thing I will give him. He did stay with God. He did believe in God. He did put his trust in God. But, buddy, he put a bunch of worry with it. And he sat and tried to scheme and plan. You want to give a testimony at the end of your life that your life has been evil and worrisome and trouble? Let me tell you what to do. Just get in there and try to organize and control the whole thing yourself. Controlling is a thankless task. Now, some of you are in leadership positions. I'm a firm believer that, that, a, that a husband should be the leader of his marriage. A parent should be the leader of their home. A pastor should be the leader of a church. I'm a firm believer in leadership now, buddy, if you're trying to control all the details, you, you're in for a miserable life. Amen. It's one thing to lead. It's something else to get in there and control and scheme and make it all come out your way. Wow. That is a miserable life. Take it from Jacob. But even Jacob, because he did stay close to God and did uh, give God credit and did recognize the importance of God, Laban said, even to that cutthroat deceiver. I have learned that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. 
Number one is stay close to God. Number two is, yeah, lead, but don't try to control all those details. Don't try. Don't even try. It will wear you out. Leave those details to God and the, and the ones that can handle them better than you. It's the maturity of the righteous. He blesses them. Tell you something else, he multiplies them. When people see the Lord in you, it has an effect on them. Not everybody, I'm sorry to say. There will be some that will rebel against it. And the very fact that they see God in you will just get a burr under their saddle and they won't give in to it. You won't win them all. As a matter of fact, you won't even win most of them. But now you'll win a few. When people see God on you, there will be some that will say, you know what, I need to straighten up. You know what, they're a good example. You know what, I need to get in my Bible. You know what, I need to get in my prayer closet. You know what, I need to give to missions. You know what, I need to be a witness. You know what, I need to clean up some things. When you live right, you'll multiply. There will be others that will see and that you'll have a good influence with. I'll tell you something else about the Lord. He'll put a hedge about you and he'll guard you from from lessening of your blessings. Look at verse 38. Last part, the last phrase there says, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. When other people are going down, when other people are going under, something will be guarding you and protecting you and taking Amen. care of you. And when different afflictions hit, there will be somebody taking care of you that's better than any insurance policy you'll ever buy. And that's the Lord. I don't mean that you won't have trials. We're fixing to read some of their trials. But I do mean you'll have somebody protecting you that's more important than any other factor in your life. The maturity of the righteous. But now let's look at verse 39 and we'll see the trial of the righteous. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. After all those things I just said about God taking care of them, there will be times he will allow oppression, affliction, and sorrow to hit you. He will, man. Notice the first word of verse 39. Again. It will happen more than one time. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that, boy, if you'll just come through this great trial, don't worry. <laughs> no, there will be another one, and another one after that, and another one after that. Here's the encouragement I will get you, give you, though. Once you've been hurt pretty bad and a scab grows over it and a callus grows over it, you get tougher. You that play the guitar, you know how you get those calluses on your fingers and it doesn't hurt like it did when you was first learning? That's the way it'll get. Now don't get me wrong, it isn't any fun. I don't mean that you'll ever get to a place where you like the trials. Okay, They're never good. But the more you go through, the better you can take them provided you stay close to God. I'm, I'm assuming that. If you stay close to God, uh, the trials will come. I remember in John chapter 9 where the disciples saw that blind man and said, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? <laughs> Jesus said, neither did this man sin nor his parents. Now, of course, that's not Jesus making a doctrinal statement that, lo and behold, we have two sinless, perfect beings here, his parents. But as far as in the context of the question as to why he was born blind, it wasn't that anybody sinned. It was for the glory of God, the power of God to be shown in him. 
So what did these uh, righteous people do that they go through being brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow? Well, nothing necessarily. Sometimes God just wants to show His loving kindness. God must allow these things. God must allow these trials, but not, thank God, permanently. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, If thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Now once in a while we see some oppression going on and perverting of judgment and some poor person that can't help themselves getting taken advantage of, and we want to get in there like Jacob and just fix it. Let me tell you something. There's going to be some things going on in this world that you can't fix. You're going to wear yourself out if you worry yourself to death about it. You know what the best thing to do is? Trust God. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and don't worry, there'll be higher than they. Now bring it to the Lord now. I don't mean don't bring it to God. Bring it to Him and say, Lord, you see I'm powerless to help this. Lord, take care of this situation, please. There will be oppression going on. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comfort. And on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comfort. Wherefore I praise the dead which are already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Solomon writing that, and he, he said, Good night, it's better to be dead than have to see some of the stuff you have to see down here in this world. And that's true. It's a shame. But here's, here's why, how you can keep your joy. Remember that God Almighty is seeing all this and He's keeping the records and He's keeping the books Amen. and He's going to make it all come out right in the end. Now, sure, if there's something easy you can do that'll be a blessing and alleviate some of their suffering, by all means do it. There's going to be some things you can't help. There's going to be some things that are just completely out of your power. And you know what is the only way you'll keep your joy? When you can put your trust in God and say, All right, Lord, that's on you. I'm casting all my care on you. Trial of the righteous. God must allow it, but not permanently. Genesis chapter 29, I've already referred to that uh, general portion of Scripture, but I'll read another thing about it here. See, Genesis 29, verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Hmm. Doesn't that just break your heart to even read that? Yeah. And the Lord saw what was going on. And you know what he did? He, he rectified it to some degree there. All right, uh, Genesis 31, verse 12. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle, are ring-straight, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. When Jacob, even, even though he wasn't the greatest character, when Jacob was being cheated, and the Lord said, Well, he, he's far from perfect, but I will admit this, he's one of mine. Right. And somebody's cheating him. He said, I've seen all Laban's doing unto you. Now watch it all come out to your blessing." But when you feel like you got to get in there and make it right and get your 50 cent back or whatever you feel like somebody's cheated you, you know what you're not doing? You're not leaving it in the hand.
God, he'll get a whole lot more than your 50 cents. <laughs> Let him handle it. Now, again, if there's an easy way to correct a little something, sure. I don't mean never correct anything, but I'm saying don't do the stuff that keeps you up at night with worries. Leave all those to him. The trial of the righteous. He does allow oppression. I hate it. I wish I could tell you God will step in and not one bad thing will ever happen on this earth because God will step in and take it. But you know better than that, don't you? He'll let stuff go bad and he'll let it go bad for a long time. But I promise you in the end it'll come out right. Let's see here. We're in Psalms. I'm going to read to you from Psalm 89. Psalm 89, verse 49. Lord... Where are the former loving kindnesses which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy servants, how I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people, wherewith thine enemies have reproached thee, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of thine anointed. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. God will allow oppression. And even though you're on his side, he'll let some stuff go wrong for a while. Why? Well, it shows his loving kindness. Number one, he'll get you out of it, and you'll end up having to give him the glory. And one way or the other, he'll get you out of it. Number two, uh, you haven't been perfect yourself. And some of these things will clean you up and take care of some things you don't have right. So he allows, uh, he allows this being minished. He allows it through oppression. He allows it through affliction. Affliction, that's when you get slapped around a little bit. You get punished a little bit. You get spanked. <laughs> you get corrected. Psalm 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. The Bible says in the New Testament, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We're not reading a group in Psalm 107 at the end of the chapter that has done anything wrong that is recorded. Now, I know they're not sinlessly perfect, but there's nothing recorded that they've done wrong. They still have trials. Christian, don't quit on God because things don't work for you. There are plenty of people that lost a loved one, lost something that were dear to their heart, that was dear to their heart, and they quit on God. Don't do it. I understand the grief. I understand the depression that they call it in these days. Bible term is probably better for discouragement. It's probably a better term. But I understand where it's coming from. I really do. But even if you find yourself imperfect as Jacob was, and Lord knows he was, you stay with God. You read your Bible every day. You pray to him every day. You keep as close to him as you can. You keep a short account of your sins. And you watch him bring you through. He allows it by affliction. He allows it by sorrow. Some people, bless their heart, it just it looks like there's a cloud over their head every day. And when I consider some of the things they've been through, I understand why. You know what the Lord Jesus Christ did? He stayed faithful in sorrow. You know what he's called? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Amen. He sure was. God help us look into our example to be faithful anyway. And probably for the church age, a, a real good example for us undoubtedly in the church age is the Apostle Paul that wrote all those church age epistles. You know what he did? He stayed faithful, even rejoicing going through trials. The Apostle Peter says similar things. 
He allows it by affliction. He allows it by sorrow. Now let's see the turning point of the righteous. After the sorrows, verse 40, He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. The turning point of the righteous is when God does a negative work again. And he pours contempt on those princes. And just like in all the other stories, the person who is down, God brings him up. Here, God takes the people who are up and brings them down. That's one thing about our Lord. He doesn't hesitate to do that. And he pays back contempt on the honorables. In Exodus chapter 9, boy, Pharaoh was in an exalted position, wasn't he? Wasn't he lifted up? Didn't he have the power? Didn't he have the riches? I mean, they worshipped him as a god in Egypt in many times in their history. You know what the Lord said? For this cause have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee. God doesn't have any trouble bringing down princes. Is there somebody that's doing you wrong that's got the power to do so? Don't worry. The Lord will take care of them. He'll do it through afflictions whenever he decides to take care of people. And he'll do it to, to those that are in position. Psalm 75, 6 for promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. They've uh, often told us in the companies that I work for, they say, oh man, they're all the time getting a new CEO. They're all the time getting new upper level management. And they'll decide to have a new emphasis. And if you don't like the way things are going, just stick around six months and it'll be different. I promise you. And it's that way in government too. Oh, yeah. And it's that way in really all of this world. And part of the reason it's so different is God says, all right, I'm going to just jumble them up and mix them up and turn things around here for a while. He pays back contempt on the honorables. And he makes the established people lost. Isn't that interesting? At the beginning of the chapter, he takes the lost people and establishes them. And at the end of the chapter, he takes the established people and gets them lost in the wilderness where? Where there is no way. What's a better description of lost than that? Amen. Then the deliverance of the righteous comes in verse 41. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. So the first thing he does is he delivers them from their affliction. Now, folks, I hate to tell you, I may as well be honest, you are going to have some afflictions. There's no doubt about it. Some things are going to happen that are, that are not going to be pleasant to have to go through in your Christian life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Part of the Christian life is persecutions, afflictions. In place after place after place, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. And then it says, and boy, I hate this word, endured. That means they lasted a while. But listen to the next phrase. But out of them all, the Lord delivered. It is going to take some faith to live the Christian life. You're going to have to believe that there's going to be, yes, blessing after blessing after blessing, but also trouble after trouble after trouble. And some of them are going to last a while. But you need to have the faith to claim the promises in God's Word that says, 
But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. 2 Timothy 4, 5. But watch thou in all things, endure. Boy, I hate that word. <laughs> Afflictions. I wish it would come along like a speed bump, you know. Boom! Well, it wasn't pleasant, but it was over quick. <laughs> now, those kind, of, those kind of trials, I can handle those, but those ones that you have to endure, ooh, that bothers me. So the deliverance of the righteous is deliverance from their afflictions. And then I'll tell you something else. It's fellowship. Psalm 68, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. God takes the solitary, the ones that are alone, and he puts them in families. They get fellowship. 1 Samuel 2, 5, They that were full have hired themselves for bread. They that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord turns these things upside down all the time. You know one of the great blessings is fellowship. You know what I think is missing in a lot of Christians' lives? Fellowship with other Christians. Well, that's true. Who you hang out with will affect how you think and how you see this world. You ought to be in church when the doors are open. And when you get on the phone, it ought to be with Christians a lot of times. And when you spend time with people, it ought to be with Christians a lot of times. Iron sharpeneth iron. And when all you do is spend all day, either in person or on a, or on a phone, with people that don't love the Lord, it will affect you over Amen. time. You say, no, 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 I'm a strong Christian. I'll say, well, I don't mean you'll lose your salvation. I don't mean that you'll backslide into gross immorality, but you won't love Jesus like you would if you're around people that are constantly reminding you of him. You won't appreciate him like you will if you're in fellowship with people that you feel his spirit with all the time. Deliverance of the righteous is deliverance from their afflictions and fellowship. And last, I'll say the reasons for the righteous deliverance. We see this here in verse 42. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. So the reason for the righteous deliverance is this, so they will speak up. The only disadvantage, and I hesitate to even call it a disadvantage, but the only uh, drawback, I guess you might say in a way, of being with the Lord every day is you get used to it and you can take him for granted. And it's good to have something to remind you to speak up for him. And the best thing, one of the best things to help you remember to say something for him is when he let a trial come and he brought you out of another one. Now don't get me wrong, he's brought you out of enough in the past that you really ought to be talking about him anyway. But let's just be honest, if it's been six or eight months since we've done anything, we just get watching the, watching the entertainment and listening to the music and doing whatever the old flesh feels like, and we forget about how much we owe to God. And when he puts you through another trial, a lot of times that will remind you. In verse uh, Psalm 107 here, verse 1 and 2, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Verse 2, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Verse 15, Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Verse 21, Oh, that men would praise the Lord. Verse 31, oh, that men would praise the Lord. Verse 32, let them exalt him also in the congregation. Verse 42, the righteous shall see it and rejoice. God help us to say something about our Lord. I'm, I'm bad. I'm uh, typical of many men. I get task-oriented. 
I'm thinking, I've got to get this car fixed. I've got to get this plumbing fixed. I've got to get this job done. I've got to get to work and get this problem taken care of. I've got to handle this family situation. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And, and it's good, and you should meet all those obligations. I'm not preaching against that at all. But you can get so such tunnel vision on just the task at hand that you forget that God's doing things all around you the whole time. And you can do your obligations and still be thankful to God. So they will speak up. That's, that's the reason that God does these things. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. God help us to say something for the Lord. But the second reason for the righteous deliverance is to shut the wicked up. Do you ever get tired of somebody running their mouth, especially on something that you know is wrong? Amen. The Lord does too. And once in a while, he sends a great deliverance, and he does it to shut the mouths of the wicked. Look at the end of verse 42. And all iniquity shall stop her mouth. 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah got tired of her adversary getting on her about not having any children. She says, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. 1 Samuel 2, 9, he will keep the feet of the saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. The Lord says, all right, I've had enough. I'm fixing to shut you up right now. And there's nothing else they can say. And what have we seen in Psalm 107? We've learned about the loving kindness of the Lord. If you're wise, you will observe these things according to verse 43. But if you're too busy, you'll miss them. We live in a busy day. There are constant distractions. I'm preaching to Bob Schoolfield probably more than anybody here. God help us to quit looking only at the task we have to do and the thousand distractions that are coming in all the time and observe these things. Why? Because then we'll see the loving kindness of the Lord and there's not a better subject in the universe than God's loving kindness. Amen. First we saw his goodness to the lost, then to the rebels, then to the fools, then to the yuppies. I, don't, I haven't heard that term in a while. I don't guess we call them yuppies anymore. <laughs> but the ones that are having success in business, they haven't done anything especially wrong. They just don't have any relationship with God. And here, the righteous. But you must be righteous to see it. And you're supposed to rejoice when you do. And you're supposed to take time to observe this process. Because if all you do is glance over there when Mr. Hard Times comes and God is sending a little judgment, you know what you'll do? You'll quit. You'll say, I tried that and it doesn't work. I'll tell you something, living for God isn't something you try for a little while. Amen. It's a lifetime commitment. That's right. Amen. And you know what he'll do? He'll show you, as Psalm 26, 3 says, For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. You know why some people don't, uh, don't last? You know why they quit walking in the Lord's truth? They haven't put his loving kindness before their eyes. Get it there. 
A lot of good lessons in Psalm 107. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll come down now and reveal these things to us. Lord, I do believe that there's some 